Welcome to the final episode of Eastern World 2023 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Hobstone, and joining me this season is the guy who, it's fair to say, has always claimed first place by suspecting Euro so much, David Bindley. Oh no, Amal! I do have to point out that as we're recording this, Bindles has changed his name already to SL Champ Bindles. Because suspect list winner Bindles wouldn't fit. We haven't drawn it yet, but I think we both know what's going to be the result of this. Let's find out. We're not going to find out yet. I'm going to leave you hanging for another, let's be honest, probably about 25 minutes, because this episode ain't going to be long. No, it won't. The first thing I do want to bring up, though, is how was your birthday? Uh, wasn't too bad. Reaching the lofty age of 40, according to Annick, at least. I'm still younger than Arf. And she's 38. Um, Yeah, you had a bit of an adventure with, uh, with your phone, though, didn't you? I did. So, my... Sister and her kids basically stayed over on my birthday because they were on the other side of town and got up, you know, 5am, needed to relieve myself, used the phone flashlight to get out to the toilet without waking the kids and, you know, having them scream all morning and realised that somebody who went during the night didn't flush. So, you know, leaned over to flush, phone dropped straight out of, my, out of the chest pocket of my pyjamas into the bowl. When I was talking to my brother about this a few days ago when I found out, I did say that I was going to end up taking the piss on the podcast, but let's be honest, I think you found it. Oh, it wasn't piss. I I have been sanitising my hands basically non-stop since that happened about three days ago. And big Belkier news, we finally got most of the cast at least, there's one person to come. Yeah. And there is a rumour floating around that we may know who that tenth person is. Because a little birdie told me that it might be Logan from Vernon. Oh. Can you imagine my reaction when I watch that episode next week if it is Logan? I know it isn't, because he was away when they were filming, but can you imagine my reaction? You know what they should do? That They should get like one of the old, old moles from 20 years ago to do it. I mean, I realise one of them is like 96 years old at the moment. But um, imagine if they got him. It would be hilarious if he just kind of wheels down that Twin Peaks inspired corridor. <laughs> the good thing is it's not even out of the realm of possibility anymore because they had bloody Dick Van Dyke on the Masked Singer. Or William Shatner, who at the age of 91 is apparently on Death's Door, if you believe the subreddit for the Masked Singer. He's been on Death's Door since 1978. Yeah, he did an interview, I can't even remember who with, but someone posted it on the Masked Singer subreddit and the headline was suitably clickbaity. It's like, I've not got many years left, so I'm doing a documentary. And someone interpreted that as, oh yeah, he's about to die, he's got a terminal illness, and you're not going to be able to enjoy Shatner anymore. And I read this article and I went, that's not what he was saying. He was saying he's 91 years of age. He's obviously not going to live much longer, so he's trying to, you know, do a documentary now while he still can. And I posted this in uh, I posted this in a comment, and I'm, I believe I'm still the most upvoted comment on it, just basically going, the dude's 91, give him a break. Yeah. Uh, you know, better him than Bob Barker. Uh, and on the and on the mystery tenth person note on Belkia, I have been slightly encouraged into doing it. So, in an evolution of our normal game, we have first suspicions for Belkia coming from Sunday onwards. But you can also do first impressions for Belkia at the current link in our bio, which will also be in the podcast episode notes. And all you've got to do is just look at the cast and rank them. Doesn't matter if you don't know who the tenth person is, you've still got to rank them. And you've got to try and suspect who it is, purely by either reading their bio, looking at their pictures, or both. 
do I rank Lancelot higher or lower than Lancelot? Well, this is the thing. We'll get into this next week because you'll be doing the Belkia premiere at least with me. But Yay. I saw I saw Lisa Lot first on the cast list, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to end up just making King Arthur puns for her, aren't I? And then I saw Lancelot, and I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, show. Stop cockblocking me. I, I hope the tenth person is Lancelot's twin sister, Guinevere. I am pretty convinced the tenth person is going to be Alternate Mulmar Time. Yeah, that feels like the sort of thing I'd do. Because there are double-sided arrows on the on the shirts that they're all wearing in the promo pictures. It feels like there's there's going to be something to do with someone who was switched out or something like that. Huh. And I feel like after the last two seasons where they brought back someone who was obviously not the mole, it would be very interesting to bring back someone who very much could be the mole and should have mm. been the mole potentially and have that inherent suspicion that really wasn't there the previous two seasons for those included people. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I think it's probably the most interesting potential of of Belkia's mystery 10th person. But yeah, mm. you've got to rank the mystery 10th person even though you don't know who they are or anything about them. Should be fun. And on one final Belkia-related note, because we obviously don't want to get to this this reunion and you gloating for half an hour, mm-hmm. someone this week from Belkia Canon announced they were going to be a father. Have a guess who. Did Davy get Logan pregnant? He didn't. But I think it is almost a similar level of surprise. It is, in fact, Peter off of Mexico. Oh. Because apparently he's left the priesthood and got married. Huh. And I had no idea about this until I was searching for the candidates on Sunday night, and I'm like, oh, there's articles about Peter being a father. What the hell? Apparently his new wife's having a baby girl. Huh. And one final question I've got to ask you. Do you know where Logan is? Is he still in sequester for being the 10th person for Belkia? Diary room? Oh, no, he didn't He didn't get accepted again. Hate to tell you, it's it's 11 attempts now. <laughs> and he, he also still hasn't been accepted for Survivor, has he now? The Accept Canadians or uh, Amazing Race, actually. Oh, yeah, it's a bit of an awkward topic, really. I, I hear, you know, all of the other versions of the challenge have died enough now that they're going to look at doing a Canadian one next year. I'm really sorry to put you in the arena, eh? <laughs> so previously, ten celebrities flew to South Africa for a game of sabotage. One by one, they fell until only three were left. Daniel, Renomi, and Yura. A high-speed boat ride saw Yura throw away their last chance at money, and one final phone call from the mole gave Rick a day off before they came face-to-face with their respective moles. Daniel chose Yura, but both Yura and Renomi chose Daniel, shocking him in the end. And the topic that you love to bring up whenever you're on a finale podcast with me is the finale fashion two questions for now why has Nabil just come from the smoking room <laughs> and what is Sarah wearing well yeah obviously what is Sarah wearing but the other one that I noticed that I'm not sure you will have is why has Lakshmi now got a barcode neck tattoo because that's no. not in any of her social media I didn't the only person I saw in the background that I recognised as like an old person was Thomas from last year, the old guy? Yeah, so I think all of last year's cast were there behind Rick and Yura eventually. Mm. Uh, Rob was there, Kim was there, Renee was there, Lakshmi was there, Pikachu was there, Mariah was there, Mariah was on the very far right-hand side. And I think the Moltop people were on the very left-hand side of the screen next to Rob. Rocky wasn't there because her charity wasn't getting any money this year. 
that is very true. We will come on to that joke at the end of the episode because it did make me laugh that Daniel did pause and go, I'm going to give part of it to charity, obviously, and then not do Rocky's charity. <laughs> so we find out from Rick's brief chats with everyone that Sander went 100% on Soy in episode 3, and it got trolled about her stupid red coat. And Soy got his first red screen when he suspected Nabil, and then suspected him again the next time. And he just thought that he got the red screen because everyone was onto Nabil already. Both Nabil and Anik had seven correct answers in Anik's final test, but Anik was just a little bit slower, and he nearly left the game with the largest briefcase of €2,500. Buying an elimination chair was like buying a shovel for your own grave, and Nabil was arrogant about giving away his own yoker. Anka was on a completely different track to Daniel deliberately, and if someone went home, the other knows who not to suspect, just like I said last week. Both she and Sai had three correct answers in her final test, but Sai had two yokers, and she had one, so she went home. Sai then gets applause from the crowd for being completely useless at multiple tests. And after episode one, Sai and Anik were the top suspects of the Dutch public, then Yura after five episodes, and Yura's now on 45%, Daniel on 31%, and Renomi on 24%. And all three of them wanted to be the mole in their pre-season interviews. Did they, though? Well, that's apparently what we heard, yeah. Because we never saw Renomi say she actually wanted to be it. Like, Renomi said she'd be a good mole, she never said she wanted to be it. No, I mean, Renomi would have been a terrible mole. Yeah. I think. Because there's a good reason they've never really made professional athletes the mole on the show, and it's because they like to win too much and they feel too bad when they screw other people up. Would she have been a better or worse mole than Yura? I think it was a very interesting chat on the Bothers Bar Discord, put it that way. I yeah. think Yura necessarily isn't a bad mole. He was just hampered by what production gave him to be able to mole. Hmm. I think Yura himself isn't a terrible mole, although he was a little bit too obvious. But I think the confines he got from the challenges didn't really make it that satisfying he was the mole. Yeah. The challenges this season didn't really offer him a lot of opportunity to do anything creative. No, the main sabotage he could constantly do was take Yokers, which is the obvious thing for the mole to do. One other stupid question that we sort of skipped over... How the hell is three correct answers a passing grade in episode seven of Avia's Small Season? Yeah, that's that's the reason why I'm not as hard on Yura as Mole is because everyone was so not on him that actually it's quite impressive. But yeah, three being a passing grade is obviously ridiculous. And in the end, Anka technically went home with four correct answers. But she went home basically as a suicide pact, so hmm. I did kind of like Rick demonstrating the knowledge of this show that's made him such a successful host for the last six years, being like, you you just shouldn't do the test worse, then you can keep going. Thanks, Rick. Where would we be without him, honestly? So then the final three come out, and it looks very cold in North Amsterdam. And more finale fashion, what the sweet fuck is your address as? It's kind of half matador, half bug catcher. And I realised... After I'd finished watching the episode, he does actually look like a ventriloquist dummy. I had exactly the same note. All you need is the lines on the side of his mouth, and he would look like a ventriloquist dummy. I've got, Yura looks even more like a ventriloquist dummy than usual, though strangely, the same amount of likely to have a hand wedged up his ass. And just as wooden. <laughs> I Also, I can't tell whether Renomi's jacket was like two sizes too big, or whether just they couldn't find one like with arms because of her muscles. Maybe it's a little of column A and a little of column B, because we didn't even hear from her for almost all of this episode. 
I was on Renomi Watch this episode, and outside of the pre-recorded stuff, she didn't speak for 62 minutes of the 83-minute episode. This did not need to be 83 minutes. It did not. It dragged horrifically. This could have been 42 minutes, and they would have been struggling to fill that. I think I actually said on the Bobber's Bar Discord that this is dragging when I watched it. Yeah. I usually watch mole episodes in one sitting, maybe pausing a little bit if I've got to interpret the narrative of the episode, but I usually watch it in one sitting. I struggled to watch this in two. It was slow. Like I, When I'm watching it for this, I sort of stop and start when I'm taking my notes. And normally it takes me about three, four hours to get through an episode. This took about seven. Yeah, it's, it was just glacially based. Yeah. Although I'm pretty sure, you know, the glaciers are melting faster than this episode happened. So nine months ago, they were in a warehouse in Amsterdam, and two of them heard that they would be a candidate, and one heard they would be the mole. Rick goes on about Pokerface all over again, not that it is the episode title, and they also love that as soon as Rick asks for silence, the audience shouts even more. <laughs> it's like you were there. Well, that's the thing. That also did happen with the Columbia reunion. Everyone just started shouting when he, he said, quiet, please. It did make me laugh a lot at the time, and it made me laugh again here. <laughs> Rick finally bothers to brief as to why they could be the mole. No one deserves it more than Renomi, as she could only rely on herself in her swimming career. The rest were doomed to lose as soon as she was cast, right? At crucial moments, she was in the background, and was that on purpose? No, that was the editor's fault. She's sure that Daniel is the mole, and she's not alone. She could just be right, because she's not the mole. Euro survived by making friends and hoping they would share information with him, and with that knowledge, find out who the mole is. The further he got in the game, the more self-interested he became. The probability of a yoker won out over the group interest. More often than not, he was the one who picked a yoker. Was that because he wanted to win, or because he was the mole? And he's also on Daniel. I know these things are, you know, a little bit revisionist at the best of times, but Rick's narration for Euro is perhaps the most disingenuous these things have ever been. Yeah, it did make me laugh that he put in there, the further he got in the game, the more self-interested he became. Because bear in mind, Yoru was after Yokers in episode three. Yeah. He was never subtle about wanting advantages. No. So Daniel always claimed first place. He apparently was very fanatic. However, how many packing slips did he really lose in the maze? How is it possible that they dragged a duck up the mountain and the envelope was still opened, losing the money? Was it because of the man who pushed the duck up the mountain, or the one who could have stopped him in his tracks? Is he as fanatic as he seems, or is he the mole? Thanks to his journalistic background, he knows the value of research, and that research could have been the thing that got him this far. He's convinced that Yura is the mole, but no one else this season was. Is that because he saw through Yura's poker face? Then we see the initial phone call again, and the traditional flashback as to why Daniel or Yura are the mole. Yura is the mole, much to our shock. And that means that Daniel Verlan is the winner. Ironically, he had a really good poker face here, considering he knew he won as soon as Rick said it wasn't Renomi. Yeah, I thought that. There are a few seasons we've covered on Historians where, if you watch the winner, you see how excited they are as soon as they know the person they didn't suspect wasn't the mole. Yeah. There is one coming up on Historians this year where the winner definitely knows that they've won as soon as they get to the final two. No, I was, I was just thinking about you know how awkward the reveal was this season because it kind of felt like a little bit of an anticlimax. So we work our way all the way up to everyone making the phone call, and then the big reveal is 
I will, I will just cut to Yura. Like, there wasn't any, like, real impact on it like there was with Jan Versteg in the Mirror or some of the other examples that I can think of. This was just, you know, he's there. Yeah, this reunion was weird because almost all of the episode was told from Yura's perspective. Like, Yura got basically second billing alongside Rick for all of the post-reveal stuff. He was sat right next to Rick like he was a ventriloquist dummy. But so much of it came from Yura's perspective, and they basically sidelined everyone else who was there. Because even even in the reveals of stuff that he did, there was only like two or three people where they put them in the little boxes next to the video for their reactions. Hmm. And the other element of this reunion that felt a bit weird is Rick never actually says Daniel's the winner. Doesn't he? No. So I thought he said it like right after. He announces Yura as the mole and then never mm. says that Daniel won. Ah. I'm pretty sure of it. Because it goes back to what I said about this reunion just feeling like the Yura show. Yeah. He never actually is really introduced as as the winner. It's just heavily implied. I think the one time that Rick does it is when they're going back inside and he says, the mole, Yura Galuk, the winner, Daniel Valan, and also Renoni. Because he doesn't even attempt to say Renomi's surname, which also made me laugh. <laughs> Renomi has also been here for the like the entire season. He doesn't attempt a surname or anything. He just he just says, "Oh yeah," and Renomi as well. Yeah. Meanwhile, I said Kokomo with Jojo in one take like a couple of weeks ago, and all the rest of them. So he meets Averon face to face after the original phone call, and does repeatedly call him daddy. Ugh. You'd enjoy that. And Annick suspected Yura's reaction originally, but she was onto Renomi, and Rick tells her that she should trust her first instincts, just like you can do for Demol Belkia Season 11 at the link in our bio. Averon told him that everything you've learned can be a burden, and he and Sarah left the boxes as soon as possible to be unreachable for the other pairs. He had to change tactics because Sarah was a bit too good at escape rooms. He stayed out of tune in the choir, but he did study music, so it was a bit tough for him. And he rehearsed a lot at home to be bad. In the prop warehouse, he knew which bus to be on, and the MOL letters there were just for him, as you did suspect in the episode. He managed to get into the photo-taking position, which was perfect, and Daniel was suspicious of him at that point. For how much he likes Instagram, the photos were rotated weirdly. In Fibbage, he paired with Anik. He already had a list of the words and could come up with plausible lies. With Anik by his side, he didn't need his list, even suggesting the term wet farts, also a description for this season. <laughs> I made that note too. Oh good, we're in sync. <laughs> <laughs> As she was far more creative than he could ever have been. They managed to fool people ten times to keep 500 euros out of the pot. He targeted her deliberately as his best chance to keep money out of the pot, and she liked it as no one else often wanted her, which is really sad. We get about three, four times in this episode, like people dropping glasses in the background while they're trying to explain all these sabotages. And, like, the first time it was, you know, distracting. By the third or fourth time it happened, I was actually waiting for that more than the episodes because it was more interesting. Yeah, it was a bit bad improv troupe. The constant, like, background noise and stuff. And obviously they're not in the usual place. They went to that place in the middle of fucking nowhere. And I don't know if it was properly set up for their needs. It was a bit of a bigger space than Vondelsay uh, S used to be, at least in terms of what we see. Like I didn't, I didn't mind the space. I just, you know, 
continue to question why we need the live finales. Especially as the first seven people who left all knew who had gone because they they had an elimination station again. They were back in Cape Town. Not Wilderness? No, they weren't in Wilderness. Although, let's be honest, the show probably still would have tried to claim that they were in Wilderness a whole 500 kilometres away from Cape Town or whatever it is. But, yeah, like the seven people who'd gone all knew who the final three were. I think probably by that point they had all worked out that Euro was the mole, which is why we didn't see any scenes of, oh yeah, I think it's still Euro. I think they probably had worked it out even before the show had started airing. I didn't see the point of doing a live reunion for this season, to be honest. I know that they want all the 5,000 people in the crowd or whatever to be there, but it was also really cold and snowy in the Netherlands last week. And like the big crowd doesn't add anything. That's not like, you know, Play 12 last year. Where the crowd, you know, served a purpose. This is just, you know, well, we want a lot of people in the background for our reveal. When doing it this way basically saps all of the dramatic tension out of it. Yeah, and also there wasn't a live crowd behind them for the reveal. Usually, mm. when they do it at Vondel Cs, they do it on the platform in the middle of the crowd, so the crowd is surrounding them. This time, they did it with their back to the door of the palace, which meant that all you had was the ambient noise of the crowd. On, on the plus side, anyone you know sitting inside the palace got a good view of a really big butt, a really small butt, and a butt in between. That is true. Whose is whose? Mm. Right there, arses, Bindles. <laughs> I'm not doing an FMK with these asses. Fine. Big ass, small ass, in between ass. <laughs> Daniel Renomi Yora. <laughs> I, I, I feel bad saying Renomi's the big ass, especially when Daniel's there. Yeah, I know you do, which is why I wanted to make you do it. Yeah. Renomi can be the in-between ass. I know you... I just realised you're going to take it out of context. <gasps> Would I ever do that and make it the episode title? Oh, no. <laughs> you're welcome, Dutch listeners. But yeah, the crowd served no purpose. Because it was so cold in the Netherlands last week, they didn't even bother to have Chris go through the crowd and ask people who they suspected or anything. No big loss there. It's no big loss. But also mm. it meant that they had even worse pacing issues than normal. Yeah, and they, they still didn't get through half the sabotages. No. To be fair, none of them are brilliant, but... No. But, like, you notice, like, the first couple of episodes, you only miss, like, one challenge, and then all of a sudden they miss about two full episodes in a row right towards the end because they're running out of time. So on the icebreaker, he wanted to be in the group that went to Rick. Daniel was the focus, so he succeeded in his plan to go to Rick. So I didn't want to go along with the three yoga plan, but the Daniel Yora sandwich made him go for it. In the crate maze, Nabil came up with the great idea to bring all the packing slips to the entrance, and Yora went right after him. He picked up Nabil's 450 euros of slips, and then ran straight into the chaser. With the duck mountain challenge, he distracted the group from bringing Anik. He opened the envelope with their permission, and lost them the money before Anik could even talk, and she got blamed again. In the church chair challenge, he knew what information Daniel and Renomi needed, so avoided asking the right questions, just like we suspected. He pressed the button on the walkie-talkie so no one could hear what Anka was saying. He also lied about the information he received, and nobody that Yura gave them was placed correctly. All seven correct ones were from Anka. She figured he was having a bad day, but didn't link that he was the mole from that, and he went completely unchecked. In the haunted hotel, he was genuinely scared of the ghosts, so got to go outside and mess around with the Morse code, eliminating Renomi's 2,500 euros. He also chose for himself and eliminated his money as well by picking a yoker, as well as convincing Anka to do the same. 
and it is worth pointing out that I'm 62 minutes into this episode and Renomi hasn't spoken once yet. He always had to go for Yokas as the mole, so when Soy told him the half-story, he was so happy as he could plausibly pick himself. He found it hard to lie to Soy at a point, but it was great to have a wonderful reason not to trust him. And after this challenge, Daniel was fully on Yora for the rest of the season, as he deliberately mistranslated the word that it was so obvious. After they finished filming, Daniel said the word small to him, and Yura went white. Renomi finally speaks after 65 minutes and says she felt silly afterwards, and she was so passive in the season, and so passive in the game. And believe me, we noticed. We really did. In the Safari challenge, he quote-unquote got lucky. He didn't focus on the envelopes, but on winning the assignment, and he knew that Soy had participated in the picture perfect, so would be hard to beat. World-famous Chris reacted well to the concept of arses, and Euro won the assignment and took the exemption up to Finale out of the game, and he had a thousand euros in his envelope. I love how they're still running with the idea that Soy was the one to beat in that challenge when didn't he have the worst score out of all four of them? Yeah, so Renomi and Soy got five, Daniel got seven and a half, Euro got eight. Hmm. Rick specifically says that challenge wasn't rigged, but Euro says he didn't want to go for zero euros as it's too moly but it was difficult to lie when he picked the exemption as he became the centre of attention. And I would argue that the exemption of the finale is still zero euros. Yeah. It's still a moly thing to do to pick the exemption of the finale, albeit one that has less consequences for everyone else. Would it have turned people off him a little bit if he just kept his thousand euros? I think it might have done. But also, there was absolutely no chance of them uh, being able to take that money out of the pot by that point. Yeah. So it would have been a complete loss for him. So in the upsale, he knew Soy and Renomi would hear two important details in their calls, so didn't want to focus on those, but mislead them by not going for red, which was in the last three calls. He realised Daniel was bluffing and used it against him, earning them only a thousand euros. And Rick tells Renomi if she'd heard all six calls, she would have known that this guy was talking nonsense. On the speedboat, he sat behind unattended and let the bag go, as I said last week. They got no money, and Daniel looks like a milkmaid. Daniel is then finally allowed to speak as winner, and says he's going to give a portion of his €11,650 to a charity for young journalists and take the cast out for dinner. And he watched all the episodes, and was impressed that no one else in the cast worked it out, even though the audience did. I can't believe Dutch public TV is so cheap they're making them pay for their own after-party. Although, having said that, it is a similar thing to what all the Belgian winners say, isn't it? They go, mm. oh yeah, I'm going to take the cast out for uh, for dinner. Or in Sven's case, oh yeah, I'm going to um, invite the cast to my petting zoo. <laughs> Which he genuinely is actually building now. I've seen pictures of it. And Rick also confirms that Daniel was the only person all season long to answer Yura on the 20th question. How? I know. I thought it was very interesting that Daniel said specifically... Oh yeah, I'm impressed that no one else in the cast worked out, even though the audience did. Like, that feels very revisionist from production going, oh yeah, we need to get Daniels to actually say something about how we're going to try and make it sneakier next year. Uh, it's like how they had Rick say, Euro might have been the most cunning mole in years, but then you look at the last few years where we've had everyone who basically lost five grand in the first episode then did nothing for half the season. Renee, who was always put in the position where she couldn't do anything. Euroan, who was Euroan. Like, it's not untrue that Euro might have been the most cutting mole in years, but Jesus Christ, what a sad fucking indictment on the state of this show. So Euro tried to make every answer a group decision, so he didn't ever work alone, and he ends the season by blowing his load over the crowd, 
Although, thankfully, it's only champagne. Did you notice Rick in the background just clicking his drinking glass with Anik? I didn't, know. Like, right on the very right-hand side, while you was doing that thing and everyone else is pretending to be happy, Rick just looks at Anik and is like, hey, we got through this together. Well done. I think Anik might be my favourite person this season. I know I said that she was probably going to be if she lasted long enough at the start of the season, but every single interaction we have with Anik in this episode is just really heartwarmingly, charmingly odd. Yeah. Like, I I don't think overall that this season had a bad boot order. Definitely Anik was a big loss and Sarah was a big loss, but aside from that, we basically got the best order we could get out of this cast. It's It's just they had nothing to work with. Yeah, I think Renomi probably should have gone a bit earlier than she did in terms of entertainment value. Yeah. Did you have a look at the hidden clues and sabotages and stuff on the website? I did. So did I. They're terrible. I know. Do you want me to run through them? Yeah, you can do, because you probably had better translation of it than I did. (laughs) Okay, so Euro was in the green crate in the first challenge, the one with the big green mole thumbprint on top, which is, you know the sort of clue they've done a few times before, like the green car in the driving school in Japan. We had the mole sign in the prop warehouse. We had Yura suggesting model in the Afrikaans quiz because it's an anagram of the mole. He was the first person shown after Rick revealed mole aspirac as one of the words. The packing slips in the crate maze were marked mole fruit, and then later in the episode he describes himself as an Ono Malone, which is an anagram of Ono a mole which is maybe the stupidest clue I have seen in 50-something seasons of watching this show. I did like how charmingly silly that one was. Yeah. I have to admit. It's the best clue of this season, and it's also the stupidest clue ever. Yeah. But they counted describing himself in the church chair thing as a clue for some reason. After the hotel guide says Katie appears when you mention her three times, Throughout the rest of the episode, Rick is shown saying Yura three times and then never says anyone else's name that many times. I also quite like that clue, I'll be honest. That's not a bad clue, honestly. All of the codes in the Morse code thing started with S and E, which are the initials of the TV show that Yura worked on, the one we translated to Squirt and Swallow or whatever it was in the premiere. Spit and Swallow it is. Sure. Like I said, hours of fun with this. Obviously, luck was mentioned a few times, to, and then the poker face, because poker is a game of luck. That was That's the entire reason for all that poker face shit. That is, I would say, the worst clue I have ever heard on the mole. It is so bad, I had to go back and make sure I hadn't mistranslated it. Yeah. And then there's the ducks, which turn up, I think, like the first four episodes in a row, and then not at all for the rest of the season. Because um, there's one... In all the props in the in the choir challenge, there's something in episode two that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, might have been one of the murals or something. Peking duck turns up in the quiz, and then there's the big giant duck and all the little rubber ducks in episode four. And two episodes where he wears a duck t-shirt, which kind of looks more like the little bird from Cuphead. We sort of had that tweet that that was a reference to one of his other shows that used to like hiding rubber ducks in episodes. Yeah. Turns out it's not. It's just he has a nickname that's something to do with ducks because of one of the ducks in the Donald Duck comic strip from like the 1930s translates to uh, Galook or something. It is that yellow is the colour of happiness, which is another translation of Haluk, I believe. Ugh. It's still terrible. Yeah. 
I miss when the clues were fun. Yeah. Like, I would like more ridiculous clues like Unamalon. Yeah. The good news is you get to do Valkyrie next, and they tend to have quite fun, fun clues. The amount of work that needs to go into understanding some of the Belgian clues, like that one in South Africa where it's like, here's a word search grid, you find the words, you turn like the spaces that have the letters into a QR code, that gives you the number of a Lego kit that represents the mall's occupation. That is too many layers for anyone to actually get, and yet it's completely hilarious and brilliant. So, in the pool, we know who won, because I had both the winner and the mole in my team making it a one-two punch. Logan, by default, comes second, and Michelle has already been eliminated last week. And interestingly, something I did realise last week when I was obviously thinking about the podcast in the days between episodes, is that of the six seasons where we have been quote-unquote competing on the pool, Columbia I'm included in this because it makes the stat work, but we've done five seasons now of Fidham pools and then Columbia where we all pick different people anyway. We've all now won two each, come last twice, and come second twice. Oh. With me winning Logan coming second, Michelle coming third this year. Which I thought was very interesting. I don't know how we've managed to do that because the, the odds of that happening are ridiculous, but yeah, we've all won two, lost two, and come second twice. Well done. Thank you. It may have been a slight nudge from you, but I'm still claiming it as a win. A slight nudge? <laughs> well, but I, the story is, the off-air thing was, we were discussing how I suspect you're a now, and there's nothing I can do about it, and you're like, you've still got the Switch to use, haven't you? I'm like, oh yeah, of course I do. Mm. So, it was a team effort. I still won, it's all that matters. Well, if it's, if it's team edit, I'm claiming another win. No, that's not happening. You've won enough in this episode, we're about to get that. In first suspicions, five people, David, John, Bindle, Sven, Derek, and Femke all had urine first. And a very special shout out goes to Sven, Derek, who actually had Daniel in second too. And as we discussed before, we actually started recording the episode. If I'd not zigged when I should have zagged at the start of the season, then I would have also had a 1-2 on first suspicions, albeit the wrong way around. One person, Jason, had your in last, and out of the three of us doing the pool, I had a score of 5. Michelle had a score of 7, and Logan had a score of 13. And before you ask, you had a score of 10. I do like being in the middle. Now, there is an elephant in the room that we need to discuss, which is, of course, the suspect list and your inevitable coronation, because it's time for a live, albeit, you know, 36 hours early for you lot, reveal for the suspect list. So on the bonus questions, the mole was in the choir, lost a life in the steel factory, and at least one yoker in week three, didn't get a top briefcase, was outside the haunted hotel, didn't buy a chair, answered 18 questions on the manual test, got shot in the laser game, and wore a green jacket on the boat. Let's see who won the suspect list. I wonder who it could be. <laughs> With a score of 130, it's David Bindley. <laughs> Yay! It's, it's so nice when a host on this show wins something, isn't it, Michael? I know, and a complete clean sweep as well, just to make it even worse. And, and I did the like the bonus question like week two or three, so it was like really early when there were still plenty of other options as well. Yeah, you did. I came 13th, which is actually fairly respectable, I have to say. Better than usual. It is. But I'll do all the stats and everything uh, on the Bosbar Discord in the next few days. But yeah, congratulations, Bindles. That's a massive shock that you won. Thank you. And one final thing I do want to mention is going back to 
all the bios and everything. You know how Renomi said that um, her honeymoon was going around Oregon and all that sort of stuff? Yep. Doing a Molto. When did she get married? I don't know. Obviously after Oregon. Yeah. She actually only got married after she'd filmed this season. Oh. It was about three months ago, I think. Well, that's going to be awkward because she hasn't got the money to pay for it now. Yeah, exactly. Her and her husband um, posted pictures on Instagram earlier in the week celebrating a, I think it was a three-month anniversary. And that mathematically makes it after this season was actually filmed. Huh. Well, happy anniversary, Renomi. Have you got anything you want to say about this season? Uh, I hope next season is sort of a little bit closer to back to normal because I don't think the producers of Vidim are that good at doing the Belgian sort of style sort of stuff. I liked the editing a lot more this season. I think the editors were a bit more playful this season, taking the piss out of things a lot more, which I love. But I do think the challenges were a bit weak this season. And that then meant that Yura couldn't come across as probably as good a mole as he could have. Because I am a bit higher on Yura than you are, I think. Yep. I think he was let down by the challenges, being perfectly honest. Yeah. Yura is far and away my least favourite person in this cast. Like, I, I feel like if I met him in real life, we'd probably get along really well. But between, you know, being the mole and basically being the only person that we're sort of focusing on for half the season and not really getting anything to do while you're being the mole, it kind of felt like a referendum on Yura and Daniel on their, on their roles in the cast. And to be honest, I vote no. Yeah, the problem I think we had was that for so much of the season, there was no one else who could have been the mole. Yeah. Like, I kept a note of, you know, my rankings of the suspicions every week. Aside from the weird situation with Sarah the first week, and then that week they left Soy off the, the viewer question for some reason, Daniel and Renomi were my bottom two every single week. Yeah, I can believe it. It was just a very odd season. I'm hoping Belkia will be a lot better, to be honest. I think it probably will be. It usually is. But it's just weird. Here's my question. Um, let's say you've got this season with this these people getting eliminated in the same spots. Like, you can't change any of that. How would you change the editing to make this work a little bit better for Euro and, you know, everyone else? I think I would probably try and emphasise a lot more of the suspicious behaviour that people were picking up on, like Nabil and Soy. Because it's perfectly fine if people get to the final three and know it's Yura. Yeah. But if people are getting to, like, final seven, final eight, and knowing it's Yura, hmm. then you've got a bit more of a problem. Yeah. And we had so many people go home on Soy, especially, and on Nabil, from what we heard in this episode, that I think I would put a lot more emphasis on trying to make them look a bit more suspicious and making it a bit more of a shock when they go home. Yeah. Because I don't think it was that much of a shot when Nabil went, even though he went in a weird situation. Yeah, I, I feel like probably the biggest loss for this season in terms of suspicion, weirdly, was Anka. And like, it's not even like she was that suspicious or anything. It's just that like she was the last person that it really could have been, aside from Yura. Yeah, and also Anka going home then meant that Daniel knew exactly that he was on the right suspicion. Yeah. It gave Daniel the confidence to go, yes, I can go 100% on Yura because I know I'm right. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because Daniel's a great winner. He's definitely one of my favourite winners in a while. Yep. 
but that might just be because we saw so much of him and so much of this season from his perspective because he was literally the only person on the mall. Yeah. So, thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2023 recaps all season long. We'll be back next week to begin the hunt for a new Belgian mall in Arizona. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtvwarriors.com. Bindles is on Twitter at the Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Enrique for the subtitles. We'll see you next week for the Mole Belgia, which starts on the 23rd of March. Here come the Belgians! Oh, and one final thing I do want to mention. I'm very pleased to announce that this year's Mole Historians is going to be...